Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington, and in this episode, I'm going to talk about six books that I really like. These are nonfiction books, and I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about reading as well. I think it's six. Yeah, that's right. And I'll tell you why I like them. Not in great depth, but definitely some books that you can go check out, and hopefully you'll get something out of them. I have a whole shelf of books behind me, and honestly, there's a handful that I, I haven't read, and I've, I've intended to read them, which is why I bought them in the first place, but just for whatever reason, I haven't been reading nonfiction, sorry, yeah, I haven't been reading nonfiction as much in the last, I would say, 18 months or so, maybe two years, something like that. And I'm, I've been reading a lot more just fiction and reading sort of leisurely materials. So I'll tell you a little bit about that. Before we get into it, shout out to sponsor of this episode, Ezoic, and their product, Leap. It'll help your site load faster and get green in the core web vitals, which is so important. And, or at least Google tells us it's so important. It is important. All right. Try to do better with core web vitals. And the cool thing with Leap is it's free to people that monetize with Ezoic. So you could just get started with it. And the other cool thing with Ezoic, there's a link in the description here. Basically, there's no page view limits. There's no minimum. So there used to be a minimum in a lot of other uh, places that are similar to Ezoic, companies that are similar to Ezoic, they require some page view minimum. Ezoic doesn't, so even if you're a brand new site, you can start integrating right away. So go check it out. I appreciate the sponsorship. And even if you don't need a leap or you don't want to check out Ezoic specifically, go check out their blog. Their content is fantastic. So it's probably guarantee that you'll learn something new if you go browse around in the topic areas that you're interested in. One more shout out to Niche Website Builders, and I am working with them on a case study where we're publishing 200,000 words in about four months, so about 200 articles. It'll end up being a little bit less. So far, I've published right about 90 articles. It might be 88 or so. And I am starting to see a little tiny bit more traffic. There is some seasonality on the site that we're dealing with. So sometimes it's a little bit hard to tease that out, especially on a growing site. But I do 100% see more impressions. And I think that's a good sign. I've published all this content in a pretty sh short amount of time. It's only been about a few weeks since I published the first 47, and then I just published about 40 of them or so in the last day. So those should be indexed pretty quickly, and hopefully within a few more weeks, we'll start to see a little more traffic. So definitely check it out. There's some episodes and some other content that I've done related to this case study. So check it out so you can follow along. If you're interested in checking out what Niche Website Builders has to offer, they have content packages. They have link building packages of various types, including Haro link building. They have a shotgun skyscraper campaign that's been the most successful for me so far. And they have a variety of other services that they offer. At the time that you listen to this, they may even have 
more things available than they did before. So you can save, I believe, 10% on link building packages, or you can get 10% more content if you get a done-for-you site or any of their content packages. I believe their content packages are some of the most popular. That is what I'm currently using. And when I worked with them in the past in, in sort of parallel with that shotgun skyscraper campaign, I was getting, I think like 20,000 words of content monthly for, I don't remember how long, six months, nine months, something like that. A pretty long chunk of time to get the site started. And it's been working out really well. So thanks a lot to Niche Website Builders. And let's get to the books that I like here. So let's talk about a few of these books. And there's no really particular order. The way they're sitting in front of me here just happens to be the the easiest way for them to... Uh, it's sort of like the largest one on the bottom and the smallest one on the top. But I'm just going to go through in sort of an arbitrary order here. So the one that I'll talk about first is Essentialism. And that's by Greg McEwen. It's the subtitle is The Discipline Pursuit of Less. And I actually read this book after I read The One Thing, which I can't remember who that's by, but The One Thing kind of steered me in a certain direction and, and really helped me eliminate some of the noise and distractions that I had. And then I read Essentialism a couple years later, and Essentialism, I thought, was a, a little bit tighter, a little bit uh better just in general. The way Greg McEwen writes sort of spoke to me a little bit more. Um, it just kind of fit my style. And I'm not sure, I haven't read the one thing again in, in a little while, but essentialism, as you could sort of imagine, it helps you focus on the things that are essential and hopefully ignore the things that are not essential. And I know working online specifically, where there's all these different marketing messages coming at you, it's hard to figure out which things to pay attention to. Another big issue with working online, especially once you get a little bit of traction, once you get a little bit of success, you will recognize opportunities all around you constantly. And it'll be very hard to not pursue those probably pretty good ideas, pretty good opportunities. And what turns out happening is there's a lot of very good opportunities and I've started to look at things where I'm just going after the very best opportunities, the, the biggest upside or the most enjoyable for whatever reason. And it's really hard to not say yes to all these different things. And actually, uh, recently I heard, uh, I can't remember if it was a podcast or if I was having a conversation in person with someone, but the general idea was, I got to where I am by saying yes to almost everything. And then these opportunities popped up and all of a sudden you find yourself overextended, a little too busy, working on shit that you don't really care about that much. So at some point, you will probably reach a point that you realize you need to say no to most things most of the time and only, only focus on the essential pieces. And Greg McEwen has a lot of great uh, personal stories from himself and people that he's worked with where they they thought they had to burn the candle at both ends and it 
sort of led to burnout. And as they cut things out, they were happier and they actually were more productive in general. Next one is Deep Work by Cal Newport, Rules for a Focused Success in a Distracted World. And the the biggest takeaway here is really just focusing and being able to get the important work done. Similar to essentialism, and they kind of work hand in hand here a little bit. It helps you, you know, get rid of some of the distractions in your life, whether it's, you know, from a social media standpoint and, you know, turning off email and some things like that, or if it's, you know, saying no to certain things, which I mean, like I said, they kind of go hand in hand, but as you can imagine, Cal Newport is focusing more on work and getting important things done. So one of the big takeaways that I got from Cal was time boxing your day. And that just means, you know, mapping out probably like half hour segments through your day and then assigning what you think you're going to be working on during that time. One thing for me, and this happens uh, for a lot of people, I think, we really, really underestimate how long it takes us to do something. Like almost everything. We're like, ah, oh, yeah, it'll take like half an hour. It takes us like three hours. Like not only are we inaccurate, it's like wildly just way, way off. So the thing is, you may not want to be too rigid on yourself and think, I don't want to time box my day. That seems crazy. I want more flexibility. Great. Uh, do it anyway. It's meant to be changed. And I think Cal mentions he'll use like a whole piece of paper or a, a notebook or something like that. I use a notebook personally and he'll map out his day sort of on the, on the left side. And then as things change, right, everything changes. Your expectations are a little bit different than what really happens, or maybe something unexpected happens and, and you get pulled into a meeting or there's some minor emergency that you have to go take care of. So your time box schedule is fucked up. That's okay. You can just move over to the uh, right a little bit and adapt. What happens if you do this for about a week or so you become much more accurate at how long things take you. And hopefully, this is what I ended up doing. You just build a lot more slack into your day. And as time has gone on and I haven't needed to work as much and actually intentionally trying not to work as much, it's pretty fun to have slack in your schedule because if your friend calls you and says, hey, do you want to come over and have beers in the afternoon? You can go do that because you have slack in your schedule. One thing that's really easy to do, especially for a lot of folks like us, where maybe you're very ambitious, you have a full-time job, you're doing your side hustle, you have like three other things going on, family, sitting in traffic part of the day, all of a sudden um, you fill up your day with stuff to do and there's no slack if something changes, your whole day spirals out of control. And I used to, you know, sort of judge my day's success by whether or not I finished like all the things on my to-do list. And, you know, you usually don't. So then you, you feel like you failed that day, but you really didn't. You just, you know, were, I guess, sort of poorly assigning what you thought could be done in that day. So time boxing, super effective. Once you get used to doing it, 
you probably can back away and be, you know, less rigid. And kind of what I do is I, I don't time box almost at all anymore because I have a, a much better understanding how long things take me. And it's usually like two to three times as long as I would initially uh, suspect. And that's just the way it goes. So maybe you're much better, but typically I find people don't estimate how long things take very well. So deep work, great read. All right. Next one is the power of habit. This is subtitled, uh, why we do what we do in life and business. It's by Charles Duhigg and fun thing. I actually wrote a short review on this, I think back in like 2014 or so. And I tweeted at Charles Duhigg and this is a, I think this is a New York times bestseller. And, uh, Charles uh, tweeted back. He was like, a good read. Thanks for checking out the book. And it was a good review, Doug, which was absolutely amazing. And, I, and then I stopped using Twitter so much. So I just, I don't spend much time in there. So the power of habit, for me, it really sort of uh, cued me into different routines and habits that we have, both sort of uh, as individuals. And then it also looks at sort of like bigger groups of people as well. So Charles Duhigg, I can't remember if he wrote for the New York Times as well, or Wall Street Journal, or he has a, a very strong journalism background. And that's not even, I mean, that's underselling it quite a bit. The, the point is, he's a very good writer where the stories hook you in. There's a lot of research behind it. And there's, I mean, I think the the end of the book is just full of citations and references. So you can go back and, and read a little bit further or go into the details for the specific anecdotes that he shares in here. The other great thing with this book is at the end, I think there's like 15, 10 or 15 pages where it basically tells you how to implement the things in the book. So you have, you know, all the reference material uh, at the end, you have all the, the stories through the book, and then you have essentially like a user manual, like how to apply what you learned in the book, which is really awesome because you could just kind of go back, look at that specific section, and then you're sort of like reviewing the whole book, even though you just read, you know, 10 pages worth. So highly effective. And for me personally, it helped me, you know, eat better uh, when I've done dry Januaries in the past, which I haven't done too many. Um, there's just some very simple things that you can do to curb your habit. So for example, and there's probably most likely a whole episode on like dry January and how to curb those habits. But essentially for me, um, there were a couple triggers for grabbing a beer or a drink in the afternoon. So number one was time of day. Number two was who I was around, which was my wife. Number three, uh, there's some, you know, some portion of the uh, reward where, you know, I feel nice because I, I drank a beer and it helps me relax a little bit. So there's a few things that you can do. Like for me, I was really trying to make sure I had some sort of replacement fizzy beverage instead of a beer so that I could uh, sort of replace that habit with something else that was not quite as enjoyable. I mean, I was just drinking like 
carbonated water. So definitely not as fun as a beer, but it sort of served its purpose. And then maybe later in the evening, I would have like an herbal tea. Again, not nearly as fun as drinking an alcoholic beverage, but I slept better and that was, you know, sort of positive on its own. So power of habit, really uh, effective way to, you know, change some of your habits and, and not just like in the short term, but for the long term, if you want to. I, of course, went back to drinking uh, on February 1st. <laughs> it was just kind of an experiment for that month. All right, I'm going to skip ahead and talk about another Charles Duhigg book. I really like Charles Duhigg. This one's called Smarter, Faster, Better, The Secrets of Being Productive in Life and Business. I believe this one has also turned out to be a New York Times bestseller and you know, same sort of idea. It tells you some things about being productive, both individually or maybe if you have a team of people working for you, there's some there's some things that you can do to help them be more productive as well. And at the end of the book, there's sort of an implementation guide, a little user manual to do those things within the book. I don't remember um, as many of the anecdotes. I haven't read this book as many times. I think I've gone through it like twice or so, but Highly recommended. Again, I just, I like Charles Duhigg quite a bit and I've heard him on uh, several podcasts. So just excellent storyteller and can bring those lessons through story. Um, so it's a fast read, really enjoyable. So the other one, I have two more. So Seth Godin, The Dip, and I have like a stack of Seth Godin books behind me. And I haven't read all of them, to be fair. But one cool thing, if you haven't read Seth Godin's books, is a lot of them are about like 100 pages or so. Um, the the dip here, I'm looking, it's 80 pages, and it's sort of like a small, um, small format book. So you can read this in like an hour or a couple hours or something like that, depending on how fast you read and the notes you're taking or anything like that. And the the punchline of this book is, It's called A Little Book That Teaches You When to Quit and When to Stick. So sometimes you're in a dip and you don't know if you can push on. And I know in the sort of the world that I am in with affiliate marketing and niche sites and building a brand new site, these days it takes, you know, six months or a year to get just a little bit of traction. And it feels like you're in a dip for a really long time. At the beginning of a project, you're building a site, you're really excited, there's a lot of momentum and stuff like that, and that keeps you going. And then when you don't see results or what you expected, or you find yourself in the situation that everyone else is in, then you're kind of in a, you know, sort of a psychological dip. And there's some times when maybe you should pack it up and move on. And and sometimes you're just about to hit it big, right? You're, you're in the dip and you're about to, you know, start growing your sites about to get traffic or you're about to, you know, overcome that plateau. And if you just stick with it a little bit longer, you'd be in great shape. Now the book gives you some tips, but the fact is no one knows what's going to happen. So you kind of just have to, you know, make a decision and move forward or stop working on the specific thing. And, you know, one of the lessons in the book that Seth shares is some of the best people in the world quit stuff, right? They quit things so that they could focus harder 
on the things that they're good at or things that are more important to them. So people quit all the time and it's not a bad thing to quit. It's actually a very good thing to quit. As I mentioned before, once you get some traction, you'll all of a sudden see opportunities everywhere. And it's important to to quit the things that maybe aren't working as well. And I, I mean, I struggle with this still, and I'm sort of in a spot where some of the things that I was working on that were fine and uh, moderately productive before, well, they don't, they're not as productive as they were, or maybe it's just a smaller, I guess a smaller uh, piece of accomplishment or something like that. So I'm looking at things and I'm like, do I even want to work on that anymore? It seems like kind of a waste and I don't really get that much out of it uh, either from a fun aspect or happiness standpoint. It's not work that I want to do. And then if I'm looking at sort of a, you know, productivity in the terms of uh, money and earnings, if I'm looking at something, I'm like, well, that doesn't earn that much money for the amount of effort that I put in. And it's not much fun. So I have to question like, why the fuck am I doing that? Like, I don't need to do it. So maybe I could just stop doing that thing. And, And you quit doing it. And then I can move on to other things or, you know, sit quietly, play guitar a little bit more. I, uh, I don't know if I'll have time in this episode, but soon I'll tell you about uh, a new guitar that I, I got not too long ago. Okay. Final book here. And this one is fantastic. It has sort of shape shaped how I look at, you know, a lot of the inputs that come at me. So this one is called Influence, very popular book in the marketing space, The Psychology of Persuasion. This is by Robert Cialdini. I think that's how you say his last name. And basically, this book gives you a ton of tips on persuasion, copywriting, and just marketing in general. And from a marketing standpoint, this is probably one of the best books that I've ever read. There are a lot of you know, references to studies and different um, experiments that were done just in, in general in the marketing area and the persuasion area. Now, one of the cool things in this book is it also tells you at the end of each one of the sections, I think there are six main areas for this uh, book. Basically, it tells you how to recognize when you're potentially being persuaded slash manipulated in a way that you don't want to be manipulated and how to avoid it. So, I mean, certainly there are certain times where we may be persuaded and manipulated, but it's actually okay because, you know, you're buying a thing that you want or need. Uh, Example, like the, you know, guitar is sitting in front of me. I wanted to get the guitar and certainly there's some marketing and some persuasion behind that but it's a thing I wanted. So it's not like I'm going in blind and getting some shit that I don't need for, uh, you know, expensive prices that are just crazy. So the sort of downside to that is, and, and maybe I'm a sort of a cynical person anyway, slash realist. And I'm, I'm always thinking, ah, you know what, what's the angle on this? Am I being tricked? Which is kind of a, it's a shitty way to look at the world sometimes, but um, but basically because of the tools in, in the persuasion tools that can be used to manipulate in this book, I will go around sort of with my eyes open and then I'll think, oh, is this some persuasion trick 
where I am starting to think that I want or need something that I don't want or need at all. And like I said, with my sort of cynical personality, maybe a little jaded for various reasons, I'm always questioning the message that's coming at me, even when it might be genuine or real or totally legit. So excellent book, again, from a marketing and copywriting standpoint, super helpful. And you will be able to recognize when you're being marketed to and when people are trying to persuade you. Double-edged sword and, you know, maybe a more, uh, because I'm not like, I'm not negative just in general, but I'm always, I'm, I'm always curious about a person's incentives and why they're talking about something. Oh, perfect example. I was chatting with a friend yesterday who may join me on the show. She's going to be starting a podcast soon. And we were talking about, um, I think it was transcriptions for podcast. And she mentioned, oh yeah, like I've read, she, she's done a ton of research on podcasting. And she said, yeah, uh, some people are saying, you know, definitely do the transcriptions and blah, blah, blah. And I asked her, I'm like, well, do you, have you ever read a transcription? She's like, ah, maybe once ever. So maybe one time I've read a transcription, maybe like once or twice, but I was looking for a specific piece of information. Now, what I brought up to her was most likely wherever she read that information, they were referring people to a service that does transcriptions so that they are affiliates and they earn money. So they clearly have a, an incentive to send people over there, which is what I point out all the time when folks are like, oh yeah, this new, uh, this new AI tool is fantastic. You got to check it out. It'll save you time, blah, blah, blah. Look how great it works. Or this new plugin does X and blah, blah, blah. And they present it as like their own opinion, which it, I mean, it might be legitimately their opinion, but it's not wrapped in like earlier. You know, right, I had an ad read. It's clearly an ad read. Um, I accepted money. They sponsor the show, right? It's clear, right? Very transparent. And you can check out the tool yourself. When it's presented like, hey, this is a legit um, unbiased review. And it, they may not say that explicitly, but it's sort of presented that way. And then you think, oh, this tool is fantastic. And boy, I was fooled so many times in the past when I first got started. I bought, uh, I won't mention the product specifically. One was a theme. One was a page builder type product. Others were uh, keyword research type tools. And, you know, in general, they were kind of functional, but they definitely didn't like deliver and like change the world like I was expecting based on what people were telling me, like, oh, you have to have this page builder for all this rich formatting and stuff. Turns out it, it didn't matter at all. And it just sort of wasted my time. And then with some of these tools, uh, usually it's maybe like a WordPress theme or the page builder more than a keyword research tool. But once you start using a piece of architecture like that or a piece of software, sometimes it's really hard to migrate off of those pieces of software. Again, with a WordPress theme, you might have short codes polluting your whole website, and it's really hard to migrate off of that platform, which sucks because then you're sort of like roped in and it's a very painful. It's a, it's a great thing 
for the the company, right? Because it's something that they can earn money from each year as they renew your license. But from a usability standpoint and flexibility standpoint, it's really kind of crappy. So anyway, that's why you always have to look out for, I mean, help people like me don't trust me either, but you know, there's folks online, uh, either, you know, YouTube or a podcast or a blog or whatever. And they're like, this tool is fantastic. Look how great it is. But if they are getting paid in any fashion on the back end as an affiliate, you have to question their motives and look at their incentives. I'll stop beating that horse there. Another book that I don't have laying in front of me, it's behind me, but it's um, Freakonomics. So I think there is a there are a couple books in the Freakonomics um, series at this point. The original from I think like 2006 or seven is very good. And you know one of the big things is looking at incentives and understanding you know why a website broker or a real estate agent may not have your actual real best entrance in mind, right? They are earning a commission based on, you know, certain things. So they may not hold out for the highest price. They may not encourage you to negotiate and look at all the deals perhaps. So you always have to keep that in mind. They, you know, generally they are looking for fast transactions versus the highest like sort of earnings for whoever is selling. So you got to keep those things in mind and Freakonomics, another great one to check out. So seven books, a little bonus in there. Earlier, I mentioned that I was going to talk about reading a little bit and I forgot, I forgot to talk about it. Now I'm going to pull back the curtain since you stuck around till pretty much the end of the episode here. I recorded that like five months ago. I recorded that actually almost six months ago. I recorded this, I think like at the end of October or November, because I was like, you know what? I'm going to get ahead and record a couple evergreen episodes just in case the schedule gets funny or whatever. Around the same time, I was like, you know what? I got so many things I want to share. I'll even do a third episode per week occasionally. I won't commit to it. It'll just be a little bonus. Anyway, all that to say, I didn't record any other evergreen episodes. I had a couple thoughts about some evergreen episodes, but I never recorded them. And then I sat on this one for a really long fucking time. And then eventually, I decided, hey, I'm going to go ahead and publish this one. So I did go back and listen. And I actually remember when I recorded this, I said that I was going to talk about some of my reading habits and how it shifted over the years. And uh, and then I never did. So I'm going to come back and I'm going to tell you about it now. So that's a little peek behind the curtain. It's sloppy over here. You know, we try to do our best. I got a Trello board. That's uh That's about all I could do. I am consistent, if anything else. Okay, my reading habits. I mentioned that I don't read very many nonfiction books right now. I do listen to quite a few podcasts, which in some way serve that area of nonfiction. I also occasionally listen to audiobooks. Now, when I talked about books I like, 
I am talking literally about books that I am reading. When I, and I, I mean, I think it counts, right? I'm not like judging people out there. It counts if you listen to an audio book, but there is something about reading a book either, you know, I don't care if it's like on your phone or a Kindle or the actual physical book. If you're reading a book, you're pretty much immersed in the ideas and the thoughts. Sure, your mind can wander and you'll have to come back to it. But if you're reading a book, you're probably, hopefully, not riding or driving a car. You're not driving a car or anything. If you're reading a book, like I said, whatever device it is, if you're looking at it, you're probably not doing other shit overall. You might be able to you know, be on a elliptical machine or like a treadmill or something and have a book in front of you. I have seen people do that. I don't really do that myself, but I do tend to like read books and I like to have the physical copy or a Kindle. I have a paper white, which is, uh, I don't know, just one of the, one of the different Kindle models out there, but any of those e-readers are just fine. It is great for travel. You know, it is good. So you don't have to lug around uh, like four different books or something. If you're taking a flight, you could just have a Kindle, small. You can buy books really easily. It's very, very nice to have. And I, I love my Kindle. Again, I, it doesn't matter if it's a Kindle or some other e-reader. They're all pretty much generic as far as I could tell. But the thing that has shifted with my reading, it's really two main areas. So about, I think it was like 2012 or so, 2012, 2013, in that time frame, I was sitting with two very smart people. My brother-in-law, my younger sister's husband, he has a PhD, very smart dude, and some of you know his friends also have PhDs, like you can imagine, uh, people that are in academia are around other people that are very smart. So I was sitting, having some beers, having dinner with uh, my brother-in-law and one of his friends who also had a PhD. And I was like, yeah, I'm just, just curious, guys. Like, how, how many books do you read per year? And my brother-in-law's friend said... I don't know, like 12 or 15, something like that. And at the, the reason why I was asking is at the time, I would read maybe like one book every two years or something like that. But I, I was like, I want to read more, but I'd never, I never really had the habit of reading. The one caveat is beer books and homebrewing books. So I would read those very, very aggressively. And it was, you know, nonfiction. I was learning a craft. I was really, really interested in the topic area. And I would get homebrewing books about different styles and different regions and learn all about the history. And I would learn about the, the brewing techniques. And then I would put it in practice and go back after I made the beer and like read the notes. And it, I, I loved it. So the, the one caveat is I would read beer books, something related to drinking. Shocking, right? So my brother-in-law, he was like, I read probably like 50 or 70 books a year, like fucking insane, right? He's like crushing, he's crushing like more than a book per week. 
basically. And I, I can't remember if it was 50 to 70 or if he was like, ah, I read like 70 to 90. It was a lot. It was more than one book per week. And I was completely blown away. He's a you know fast reader. He has been reading uh, as a you know, habit for probably as soon as he learned how to read, which I suspect was pretty young. So after that, and it wasn't immediate, but after that, I was like, I, I do want to read more. Like these guys are pretty smart. They're about probably like five, uh, five, 10 years younger than me. So I don't, I don't remember the range, but you know, the, these were younger guys, smarter than me. And I was like, you know what? I do want to read more. And slowly over the course of the next couple years, I started to read more. It did start off in the nonfiction area with some of the books that I just went over in this episode and other productivity related books, maybe some lifestyle things. And, you know, at some point, and I, I may have mentioned this earlier, but at some point, a lot of these books are referencing the same studies, the same research. They are framed in a, a different way occasionally, but there's one book that's very popular right now by James Clear, Atomic Habits, and I haven't read it. People have you know, really enjoyed it, and they talk about it all the time, but as far as I could tell, it's just the most recent uh, version of the same ideas again and again, and it's referencing the same studies and the same it's just the same shit over and over again. And I think I probably heard someone again, smarter than me say, yeah, you know what? If, if I just stopped reading these self-improvement books and these self-help books and the productivity books and all this stuff, and I just went back to, you know, my favorite three and implemented what was in those, I'd be way better off. It's very, I don't know, uh, some sort of mental masturbation of, you know, reading the book and you're like, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And you keep getting other books to just regurgitate the same stuff. If it does work for you, by the way, you know, keep doing it. But for me, I was like, ah, oh, what the fuck It's it's just the same stuff over and over again. I've read this before. It's just someone else is saying it. And I do recall there was one podcast I was listening to and I was like, Oh, holy shit. These guys are brilliant. I've never heard this idea before. This is absolutely amazing. And I, I thought they originally came up with the idea. A few months later, I read a book and they basically like verbatim went over it, never gave credit to the author of the book, who of course probably regurgitated her from somewhere else. But you know, that's another story. But the point is I I basically I thought these guys were brilliant. And then later the image of them was shattered in my mind. I was like, ah, these guys were just regurgitating it and they didn't even have the, they didn't even have the, I don't know what word I'm looking for. <laughs> you know, you read all these books, but then you can't think of the right word. So basically they didn't give credit to the author to say, Hey, if you want to learn more about these ideas, why don't you read the book from the original source? And then you'll have the full context. So at some point I started to move a little bit away from those sort of self-help and productivity type books. Not, not too long, actually. I mean, I, I read for a few years and then I kind of got the point. Also in parallel, I 
started borrowing books from the library a lot more. I'm a big library user, by the way. I think a lot of people already know you can get eBooks from your local library. There's a couple different apps I've used Overdrive in the past. Right now I'm using Libby. It seems to be a little bit more modern and the interface is a little bit better. Largely the same sort of functionality though. So I was reading a bunch of fiction books as well. So I really got into fiction. And currently I read way more fiction books than I do nonfiction. I usually have you know, probably one of each going, but I go through the fiction books much more quickly. I have kind of a daily habit in the evening before bed, I'll read the fiction. It sort of winds my brain down from anything I may be thinking about during the day and gets me into, you know, whatever fantasy world I'm in. Right now, I'm currently reading a lot of uh, Jack Reacher books. That's Lee Child. I think there's like 26 books in the series or so. There's a great uh, Amazon Prime series, a TV show. And that sort of like rekindled my interest in, in Jack Reacher. I've also read a bunch of CJ Box books. He is, it's, uh, I think he's out of Wyoming and he writes about a game warden, Joe Pickett in Wyoming. And there's some references to areas that I really enjoy like Yellowstone and the Tetons and just the, you know, the high desert of Wyoming, which I've driven hundreds of miles across. And it's just an interesting place. And I love the mountains over, you know, on the, on the West side of the state there. And there's another guy named uh, Keith McCafferty. And he's actually out of Bozeman from what I understand. And after I moved from Bozeman, I missed it a little bit. And occasionally I'll search for books based on the location that they're set. So I was looking for like Montana or Bozeman or something like that. And then I found this guy, Keith McCafferty. And you know what? I can't remember the main character of his books, but I think he has a series with say like seven to nine books. And it's great. The cool thing is the town that it's based on is uh, it's really Bozeman, but he calls it Bridger in the books. So he'll reference like certain restaurants or certain places. And, you know, it's, it's kind of nostalgic. And I'm like, oh, yeah, like, I, I know where that's at. Some of them are made up, of course. Another, uh, you know, obviously very famous person is uh, Stephen King. And I've read many, many of his books. Uh, most recently, Billy Summers, I think that was the the latest book that he published. And that was a great one. No supernatural stuff, no crazy stuff. It's more like a crime and, uh, you know, mob kind of book, but very good. So I read way more fiction right now. I do have, I would say probably 10 books on my shelves behind me that are nonfiction. They are books that I haven't read yet, but I had picked up in the past. Once I got on a little Seth Godin kick, I did mention the dip, but if you are looking for books that are old, you know, a few years old and they're no longer like really popular, head over to eBay and you'll probably be able to find them used for super cheap, often, you know, under six or seven dollars. Sometimes they'll have free shipping, but I ordered, I think maybe like eight Seth Godin books, which I, you know, if you buy them brand new at the store, they're probably going to cost, 
I don't know, 15, 20 bucks or so. And they're usually pretty small, Seth Godin specifically. But I got these on eBay. Most of them were like four or five dollars in free shipping. So I got a bunch of books for like under $50. The cool thing with Seth Godin books, even though I haven't read all of them, is they read so fast. They're usually like a hundred pages or less, and they read very, very quick. They are like blog posts. Seth writes really well. The downside with some of the Seth Godin books is it's like he just says the same stuff over and over again. It's just like you you can do it. You can do it, buddy. Go ahead. You know, try try to try to work on something. Give it a shot. You don't know if it's going to work, but you know, do your best. And the world will reward you. So I th- maybe I saved you a bunch of time with any of the Seth Godin books. He's great. I don't know why I'm making fun of Seth Godin. He's he's a fellow bald man. Seems to be a nice dude. But uh, yeah, some of the books get a little redundant. So I think I read a couple of them, and I'm like, I can't go through all of these at once. I need a break from this. And that's why you go read about Jack Reacher. Guy's crazy. It's amazing. So I'm interested. What books do you? like to read, shoot me an email, feedback at doug.show. Let me know about fiction. Let me know about nonfiction. And it's been a long time. It's been maybe like three years, but I talked about another Stephen King book, 112263. And I can't remember if I talked about it a lot, but like two or three people emailed me and I was like, oh shit, that's, that's pretty cool. Eventually I did watch the series on Hulu, which I, th- I thought was pretty good. I enjoyed it quite a bit. My wife didn't like it as much, but I thought the series was good. And uh, you know what? I can't even remember who emailed me, but if you still listen to the show, that's amazing, number one. But shoot me another email. Let me know if you've read Billy Summers. I'm like communicating with someone that I I can't remember who it was. I'll look back in the emails and I'll give you all an update in a couple weeks. All right, around here, it's about beer 30. So I got to go. Everybody have a great day out there. I'll talk to you later.